thank you uh, for your love. We thank you that we can be here tonight. We got the sound working, um, and uh, people are able to hear, and the children in the back, and they're having their lessons. And the, the youth, so many of them are upstairs, and they're being taught the Word of God. And so, Lord, we want to be still right now before you, and we want to, Lord, as we read about the garments of the priest, how we are called a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests in the scriptures, and how it, first of all, the high priest, as we look at him, how it speaks of our great high priest, Jesus Christ, and then we being a kingdom of priests, how it relates to us and how we can make application. So I do pray that tonight, Lord, that we would be taught and we would be edified and encouraged and, Lord, just drawn closer to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, we are in that section of the book of Exodus where Moses is up on the mountain of God. And the Lord is, is come to Moses and said, Moses, um, I want you to build a tabernacle. And a couple things that we've seen that the Lord has emphasized to Moses is that, first of all, that this sanctuary, this tabernacle that, that you're going to build is going to be where I'm going to meet with my people. So the Lord uh, says that repeatedly as we've been going and looking at the tabernacle. It was a temporary structure, of course, in their wilderness wandering. They needed to take that tabernacle down. It was like a big tent that was about 45 feet long by 15 feet wide as we've been looking at the dimensions of that tabernacle, looking at the dimensions of the furnishings that would go in the tabernacle. And they used the unit of a cubit and a cubit is about 18 inches. And so this tabernacle was smaller than this sanctuary. So it wasn't huge. And it, as we have seen, as we saw last time, specific details about that tent and the curtains that went over the tabernacle. Um, and there would be four layers. Uh, the first layer would be made of purple and scarlet and and uh, you know blue uh, uh, linen and and in it would be uh, intricately designed the cherubim and so there would be another layer over that uh, and then another one as it's made of badger skins and then ram skins and and then goat skin and it was made of animal skin so as you came to the tabernacle the outside looked ordinary it wasn't beautiful at all but inwardly it would be very beautiful because the framing, as we saw last week, of the tabernacle was made of a kea wood that was about boards that were connected together. And again, because the tabernacle was a structure that had to be taken down, the, the, the curtains that made up the coverings of the tabernacle were not sewn together, but they were put together by these rings and these clasps that uh, would join the curtains together, um, the different layers, and then the boards would be put together by tenons. They weren't nailed together to make up the framing. And then whenever that pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire uh, by night would moved in the children of Israel, they would have to pack up their tents and the Levites and the priests would have to pack up the tabernacle and move it to wherever the Lord would have them go. And so it was that temporary structure. And so inwardly, the tabernacle, as it was made those boards of Achaia wood, but it was lined with gold, wasn't it? And so outwardly, just an ordinary looking tent, but inwardly, it was uh, the walls were lined with gold. And then you would look up and you would see the cherubim. 
on that first layer that was over the tabernacle, over the framing of the tabernacle, those cherubim being the angelic creatures that, that we see in the heavenly visions, the, the guardians of the throne of God. And then the tabernacle itself was divided into two rooms, as we have seen. As the priest would walk into, there was one door. It speaks how there is one way into the presence of God, and that is through Jesus Christ, isn't there? And we've looked at some of the furnishings, as there was the table of showbread on the right-hand side with the 12 loaves of bread. On the left-hand side was the seven-branch golden menorah. It was the only source of light that was in the tabernacle can you imagine as it reflected off the gold of the walls and then the cherubim up there and the priests as we saw at the end of chapter 27 last time where we left off they had responsibilities of taking care of the lampstand trimming the wicks and making sure that the bowls the seven bowls were full of of oil uh, they were to take care of the showbread table they would uh, make new loaves 12 loaves of bread every sabbath and they would eat the bread only the priests were to eat the bread and then there was the altar of incense that we're going to talk about uh, if we don't get it to it tonight we'll talk about it next time and then that that first room called the holy place where the priests would actually go in and minister then there was a veil again. It was made artistically, of, uh, woven into it, the design of the veil, as we saw, of the cherubim. And only one person was allowed to go behind that veil to the second room, and that was called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. That box, that chest that we know from the scriptures that had the Ten Commandments, the jar of manna. Can you remember the third thing that was in it? And Ron of Aaron's, yeah, and we'll see that in the book of Numbers, that Aaron's rod was placed in that, that, that chest, and then on top was the mercy seat, a lid made of pure gold with the cherubim, and that's where, again, the Lord is emphasizing, that's where I will meet with my people, and so that's the first emphasis, and then second of all, as we have seen repeated, that Moses, you make it after the pattern that I show you, the pattern that I'm going to give to you, so we've seen all the details given to us concerning the curtains and the framings and the boards and, and the, the veils and the furnishings and all these uh, minute details given to Moses that this is the way that you are to build the tabernacle itself, the furnishings of the tabernacle. We're going to see that tonight as we enter now into chapter 28 concerning the priestly robes. We're going to see all the details concerning the robes. It wasn't that Moses had to say, okay, I'm supposed to build a tabernacle. Okay, I guess we'll start working on a design or what do you think, Lord? You know, they didn't have a meaning about it. I will show you, Moses, here is the pattern. And so Moses is writing down the pattern here he's getting the pattern for the tabernacle itself for the furnishings that we've been looking at and now the garments for the priesthood so let's look at chapter 28 as we do read now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister to me as priests Aaron and Aaron's son Nabat and Abihu Eleazar and Ithamar and you shall make uh, holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty so you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, who I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they make, may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, a ephod, a robe, and a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. And so the priests, of course, are the ones that are going to officiate the ministry of the tabernacle. And the, the priesthood, first of all, would come through the, the family of Aaron. 
You know, as it's mentioned here, as we begin chapter 28, that Aaron was the brother of Moses. Aaron was the older brother of Moses. When Moses was on the mountain of God and being called by God to go to Egypt to, to deliver a message to Pharaoh that let my people go, and, and the Lord said, Moses, you're going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, that it was Moses that said, I can't go because I'm slow of speech. I, I stutter. I can't speak well. And so the Lord said, I'm going to send your brother Aaron to be a mouthpiece for you. So Aaron's been with Moses ever since the beginning of this process of them coming out of Egypt. And so from Aaron and his four sons here mentioned is going to come to the direct descendants of them is going to be the priestly family that are going to be ministering there in the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the duties that we're going to read about. But also from the tribe of Levi they would be from, the other families that would come from the, the, the tribe of Levi, they also would be involved in the ministry of the tabernacle. And so when we get to Numbers chapter 4, we're going to see the very specific duties that they have as they come alongside Aaron and his descendants that are doing the priestly ministry, and then the Levites that also have responsibilities that we see throughout the scriptures. And, and it's very interesting to see the responsibilities that they have. And so they're all involved in, in the ministry. As you looked at the camp of the children of Israel, you have the 12 tribes. Remember that the 12 tribes that are uh, representative of the patriarchs that were the sons of of who? Of Jacob, right? So Jacob has 12 sons, as we saw, as we closed the end of Genesis, and those sons are the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. We're going to see in a few chapters why the tribe of Levi was picked to, to be uh, helping with the priest uh, in the tabernacle. And so we'll get to that in a few weeks, um, why the Lord would say, okay, you Levites, when you go into the promised land, you're not going to have an inheritance because I'll be your inheritance. And so you have the tribes around, um, you know, the, the uh, 12 tribes. Remember, Joseph had two sons that would be part of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then you have the Levites that would be there, Moses and Aaron and the priests in the tabernacle, which was in the center of the camp. And so here we see as they're uh, given uh, ministry to do, first of all, notice that there's unity in ministry here. In other words, here's a collective group of men. Here are the priests. Here are the Levites. They're going to be ministering to the Lord. And so uh, they'll be involved in ministry. And, of course, uh, we see that it starts out with Aaron and his four sons. By the time we get to Leviticus chapter 10, there's only going to be two sons because the two older sons, Nabat and Abihu, they're going to end up being consumed by fire because of their sin. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So here are the four sons. Uh, eventually, it's going to be two sons. And then the priestly ministry and the number of priests over time, of course, is going to grow, um, and, and the Levites as well. But they're all working together uh, in the unity of doing the ministry and, and ministering to the Lord. And it reminds uh, me of us, doesn't it? Because Revelation chapter 5 says that we are a kingdom of priests. In that song of redemption that is sung there in that heavenly vision that John sees, that uh, as uh, they are singing that song, that from every tribes, people, nations, and kindreds, you have redeemed us by your blood, speaking about Jesus who was slain before the foundation of the world. And we are a kingdom of priests is what they are saying in that song. So we are likened to a kingdom of 
the priest. And of course, Peter in his epistle says that we're a royal priesthood. And so you and I are likened to priests, that is, a priesthood, and we come together as the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. We are to have unity, and the New Testament talks about that. And Paul really emphasized that because here were Gentiles that were getting saved, and, and the church you know, had come out of the early church. Uh, most of the early believers were those who were coming out of Judaism. So you had those with the Jewish background. You had those who had a Greek background. And Paul was wanting them to understand that this is one body in Christ, that this is a new man. And, and that the, the body of Christ, he is the head, one body, one spirit, and we're all different members, and we all have different things that we are to do. And the church is called uh, a tabernacle, a temple. We are called the temple of God. Peter says that we're living stones being put together to make this holy habitation, and we're come together in unity, coming together for the purposes of God, that we might be a light to to the world and to uh, those who need to hear and see and learn about the love and grace of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. And so the unity that uh, is, first of all, seen here, but then we also see here in these verses, priority of ministry. And notice here in verses 1 and verses 3 and verse 4 that these uh, were ones that the Lord says, that you are to, to minister to me as priests. Minister to me as priests, we see. That's repeated three times in these four verses. So the priority of ministry is to minister to the Lord. And we need to remember that, all of us, because the Lord desires for all of us priests to be used in ministry of him and how he gifts us and where he places us and the opportunities that we have to, to serve him. But we do it for the Lord, don't we? We don't do it so we can try to get glory ourselves. We don't do it so, you know, we can exalt ourselves or has prestige or how's the ministry just going to benefit me? And, and I've seen those in the ministry that it seems like, you know, ministry is conducted in a way that it always benefits me, how it benefits me and how I'm in the limelight and how I have prestige and all that. And, and you gotta, we got to be careful that we're always ministering unto the Lord, that, Lord, because I love you, my love for you, for what you have done for me and saving me and forgiven me, and you've set me aside, and that the creator of the universe would even want to use somebody like me is a wonderful thing. And so Paul would write that it's the love of Christ that constrains us or motivates us. Your love for Jesus Christ, your love for God should motivate you to serve him because you are an awesome, wonderful God that is worthy of my complete surrender in my life. And Lord, however you want to use me, I want to bring glory to you, not to myself. I want to elevate you, Lord, and point to you, not to me. Lord, I want to exalt you. I don't want to exalt myself because I can't save anyone. I, I can't take away the sins of anyone. You're, you, Jesus, are the only one that can truly do that. Take away the sins of the world. You're the one that saves us. You're the one that has given us of our love because you loved us, now we love you. And we're motivated by that love to minister unto the Lord. And so we see that emphasized. And that's what Paul was talking about to Timothy and to the Ephesian elders when he said, take heed to yourselves. He wasn't saying, you know, uh, you know, focus on yourself. He wasn't saying to them that ministry is all about you. He was saying, you take care of yourself spiritually. You keep close to the Lord. And remember his love for you. And then minister to the flock. Be an example to the flock, to the believers, he would tell Timothy. And then you and me, as we just 
in our devotion to the Lord, desire to serve him. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So the priority of ministering these priests, they were to be men that it showed in their life and they expressed in their lives that they were ones that loved the Lord. And so verse 5, we begin to see now uh, the different pieces of uh, the priestly garments. We're going to see the ephod and the breastplate. Uh, we're going to see that these were pieces of the priestly garment that the high priest Aaron would wear. And so um, the high priest, he would have the ephod, he would have the breastplate. So let's look at the ephod, verse 5. And they shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen. And they shall make the ephod of blue, uh, gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen artistically work. And it shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, and so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod which is on it shall be of the same workmanship made of gold and blue and purple and scar scarlet thread and fine woven linen. And then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave them on the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and six names on the other stone, in order of their birth. And with the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of the signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel, and you shall set them in settings of gold. Verse 12, and you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, so Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. And he shall make settings of gold, and he shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords, and fasten the braided chains to the settings. And so you have this ephod, and what I have here again in this illustration of the tabernacle up in the upper right-hand corner, and I know that you that are in the back, or most of you, unless you're sitting right up front, you really can't see it very well. But I would encourage you to come up and look at it after the service, and it shows the high priestly garments, and it, it shows that the ephod, which was like a vest, kind of two pieces with straps, and, and the straps would come together on the shoulders, and they were fastened together uh, by onyx stones. And on those stones were, on one stone, six names of the 12 tribes of Israel. The other one was the other six names. And so the responsibility of the priests and the high priest, there were two main responsibilities, and that was, is that they were to, there's a demon in the sound system or something. So I don't know what that is. But, but what they were to do was, is they were to represent God to the people. They, they were to tell the people about the heart of God. And as you and I have priests, that's what we're supposed to do, aren't we? We're to tell people the heart of God. We're to tell people about his love and his mercy and his grace and the truth of God's word and his principles and, and his commandments. We are to represent the heart of God and tell people of the heart of God. And, and that's what we are to do in our witness and our ministry to others. And I pray that we do that. And that's why it's so important that we, we know God's word and we understand God's word and we learn of him. Jesus said, come to me. And learn of me is what he says. And as we do that, going through the scriptures, seeing how the tabernacle and all these things are a picture of and point to Jesus Christ as we make application, as we see his grace and, and, and the wonderful things in the, in the scriptures concerning our Lord, we can share that with others so we can represent God to the people. Tell them about the heart of God and, and how the Lord loves them and how he's provided for them. But also what they were to do is represent the people to God as well. 
And that's what the high priest is symbolized here in the ephod and in the breastplate, representing the people to God. How do we represent people to God? We do that by praying for them, don't we? We, we present them before the Lord. And, and I hope that you and I are ones that the people that are linked to us in our lives, that we pray for them, that we lift them up in prayer, in intercessory prayer. And so, you know, Jesus, the great high priest, it talks about in the book of Hebrews that, that he was one that able to save to the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us always. And so Jesus is praying for us. He's making intercession for us as Hebrews chapter 7 declares to you and to me. And you might be here tonight. You might feel like, you know what? Does anybody ever pray for me? You know, does anybody even care about me? Jesus does. He prays for you. He ever makes intercession for you. And so Aaron, with, with the, the names of, of the you know, 12 tribes of Israel, six on one side on the onyx stone and six on the other side, his shoulder straps, and they're joined together there. And it says, says there in verse 12 that Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial, remembering the people of God. As he went in to minister before the Lord, he was bearing the names, the people of Israel on his shoulders. I pray that we would do that in, in bearing the names of those that we know in our lives in this church and elsewhere and in families and neighbors and co-workers before the Lord, lifting them up in prayer. When I think about this and our great high priest, I can't help but think about that picture, and probably a lot of you have seen it, with Jesus holding that lamb on his shoulders. That's what it reminds me of, carrying that lamb. And, of course, that lamb is a picture of you and me. We are sheep. And when I used to first teach the Bible, and, and the Bible talks a whole lot about us being sheep, and particularly in the Gospels and John's Gospel, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and my sheep know me. They know my voice. They hear me. They follow after me. And we're likened to sheep. And throughout the scriptures, you can see that. And you can see how Jeremiah went to the people, to the shepherds, and he rebuked them because they were shepherds that, that took from the sheep. They were shepherds that didn't feed the sheep. The people were starving. And Jeremiah said, the Lord is going to raise up shepherds after my own heart that are going to feed you and is going to, to show you the heart of God. And so that was a promise that Jeremiah, as he prophesied, that would happen eventually to the people of Israel. And, and so he was saying that God is going to deal with you guys, shepherds, who are leading the people in false worship and are taken from the people, and he's going to raise up shepherds after you. And, it, and as I began to look at that and study God's word, I realized, and I used to first teach that, you know, oh, sheep, we're liking the sheep because sheep are dumb and we're dumb and all of this. And maybe sheep are dumb. I've never raised sheep. Maybe some of you guys have. And I'm sure they're not the smartest animals in the world. But here's the thing. Every time sheep are mentioned, it's always linked to what? The shepherd. Always, in every case. And it dawned on me that the Lord was getting across to me that the reason I mentioned sheep, you are sheep. And maybe we're not the smartest, but it's always linked to the good shepherd. And maybe you're here tonight, and, and dads, you shepherd your family. And you bear your wife and your kids and family members, whoever that might be, on your shoulders, presenting them before the Lord as you pray for them. And I hope that it's a priority for all of us that we are praying 
for our families, for our kids, for all of us, moms and, and for co-workers, for you who maybe perhaps that, that you work with others or you own a business or for your neighbors, you bear them on your shoulders. You're presenting them before the Lord, praying for them, having a heart for them. One of the things that we're going to talk a little bit on Sunday is Jesus is, is talking to the religious leaders, and he's talking to them, warning them, because he's working miracles. The people are marveling. They're the religious leaders coming against Jesus' ministry, is saying that he's doing it by the work of, of Satan, and, and Jesus is warning them, saying, listen, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He's warning them that there's no forgiveness in that, and we're going to talk about what exactly what that means, the rejection and continual and final rejection of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about witnessing, and I want to encourage you this Sunday in, in witnessing and sharing the truth of God's Word and praying for people and having a heart. I pray, oh, I hope that this fellowship, that we have a heart for the lost because there are so many lost people, even in our own community, so many people that don't have Jesus Christ in their hearts and in their lives and haven't submitted to Him, haven't repented and turned to Him that we could lift those people up that we know that need Jesus Christ and, and represent the people to God. And then also in our witness, represent God to the people, telling them that the Lord has made provision and desires for them to turn to Him and repent and turn from their sins and, and submit their lives to Him. And so here the ephod that is given here, um, and uh, we see that it's uh, representative of uh, Aaron as he would bear the names of the children of Israel on his shoulders as he went and ministered. And then verse 15, the breastplate, you shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, you shall make it. And you shall be doubled into a square, a span shall be its length. So here's another unit of measure, a span, not a cubit, but a span. So we don't know exactly how long a span is, perhaps a half a cubit, uh, but it shall be a, a span its length, and a span shall be its width, in verse 17. And you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be sardis, as it's mentioned there in verse 17, or amber. Topaz and an emerald shall be the first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a jacinth, or that might be an amber, and then also an agate and an asmus. And then the fourth row, a beryl, and an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. In verse 21, and the stone shall have the names of the sons of Israel, 12 according to their names, like the engraving of a signet. Each one with its own name, they shall be according to the 12 tribes. So attached to the ephod uh, was, was a breastplate, and it was four rows of three stones each, and of course they represented each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and stones and gems that are mentioned here, sapphire and onyx stones and you know, jasper and, and, um, and sapphire and topaz and all these, these were valuable gems, and, and they were very beautiful. They would be there on the, uh, the breastplate, and they would be very, very beautiful as well. And one of the things that we're going to see as we continue in Matthew's Gospel, and particularly as we move into chapter 13, which is going to be very soon, that Jesus is going to begin to tell parables about how valuable we are to him. He's going to liken us to a pearl of great price. He's going to liken us to a treasure found in the field. But we are a gem to the Lord. We are precious to the Lord. We're beautiful to the Lord. Do you understand that? And I pray that we would always have the proper 
you know, understanding of how the Lord values us and how valuable we are to Him. And I can't help but think about Paul's, Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. He talks about, you know, in the first part of the spiritual blessings that, that we have in the heavenly places, that we've experienced and received the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Paul taking us immediately into the heavenlies, that you're chosen, forgiven, adopted, you've been redeemed, you uh, all these wonderful blessings, and you have an inheritance because we're joint heirs with Christ. But then as he begins to pray, he says, oh, that you may know and understand that you are an inheritance to the Lord. In other words, the Lord looks at you as being so valuable and can't wait to receive you that we're like an inheritance to him. And Paul says, oh, I pray that you would know, know this. And I hope that all of us would understand that we're very valuable to the Lord, very beautiful to the Lord, very precious in his sight. And so that breastplate here, it represented the, the people of God. And, and so it would represent over his heart that that he had a heart for the people. So as he again ministered before the Lord, not only did he carry the people, the, the burdens of the people as he ministered before, as he would lift them up to the Lord, but also it showed that the high priest was to be one that had a heart for the people. And that's what I pray for you and for me. That we would have heart for people. That we would hold them dear to our hearts. And those that, that, again, that we know particularly they need Jesus or those who are hurting and those that we see every day and work alongside, that we carry them close to our hearts. And for us who desire to minister, the people that you're ministering to, you see that, that we have a heart for people and we care about people and we love people. For you that perhaps teach in a Sunday school class, Oh, I hope that you pray for those kids that you're teaching and have a heart for them. For you who are working in the nursery, that you have a heart and you care about those little ones that are there, about their families and about their parents, and you're praying for them. I pray that perhaps as you lead a home fellowship or maybe a Bible study or do a Bible study at work, whatever it might be, as you disciple people, that you have a heart for them. And that is so important, again, that we see that the Lord indicted those shepherds and those leaders and those priests later on in the nation because they didn't have a heart for the people. He was angry, as we saw with the Pharisees, because they always showed contempt for the people. They didn't have a heart for the people. No compassion, no concern for them. And so the Lord, he has a heart for us. He loves us more than we can ever imagine. And then we know that the great commandment given to us, that we are to love others just as he has loved us, that we have a heart for them. And one of the things I emphasize when, when young guys come to me and say, I want to be in ministry, and, and I'll ask them why, and I'll begin to probe them a little bit. And, and you see, there can be those that can go into ministry because they want to teach Bible, and, and that's fine, but it's more than that. And for me, the pastor of this church is more than just being a teacher. As important as that is, and as, as serious as I take that, I want to make sure that you guys are the best-fed sheep in all of Greeley in this community. To work hard in studying, making sure that Bible study is intelligent, and you guys understand, and you're learning and growing. But it doesn't stop there. It's a pastor that cares for the people and has a heart for the people. And that's what the symbolism here is, the high priest, that he carried the people on, on his heart and, and as he ministered. 
there before the Lord. In verse 22, she'll make chains for the breastplate at the end like braided cords of pure gold. And he shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And he shall put the two braided chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate. And the other two ends of the two braided chains she shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. And he shall make two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it which is on the inner side of the ephod. And two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod towards its front right at the seam above its intricately woven band of the ephod and they shall bind the breastplate by means of the rings and rings of the ephod using the blue cord so it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod and so the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod so simply the breastplate was attached over the ephod by four chains, two of the chains were slipped through golden rings at the lower corners of the breastplate and attached to the side seams of the ephod, and third uh, with the blue cord um, at the waistband. So you're going to have a quiz on this after uh, the service. Uh, and uh, again, just details given uh, to Moses on this. And then verse 29, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And he shall put the breastplate of judgment of the urm and the thummim, and it shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. So the breastplate was also called the breastplate of judgment. Now why was it called the breastplate of judgment? Because it contained what is described to us as the uh, urim and the thummim. Now they don't know exactly what that was, except that the high priest and the breastplate had the urim and the thummim. We know in the Hebrew that it means light and, and perfection. They don't know, again, as I said, what it is, a, a simplified um, answer is, as we look at the Urim and the Thummim, it had to do with discerning God's will. It had to do with inquiring of the Lord. You see that David would use the Urim and the Thummim. Should I attack the Philistines? And, and he'd go to the priest, and the priest would, you know, say yes. And so what they think perhaps what it was is maybe two stones, maybe a, a light color or a white stone or a black stone. Again, this is a simplified version. We don't know for sure. And the high priest had it in his breastplate. And so if you had a question or, you know, um, you inquired of the Lord, should I attack the Philistines? He'd pull out stone. If it was white, yes, you should. Black, no, you shouldn't do that. Kind of neat, wasn't it, to, to be able to have that. And, and sometimes we can think, as we see it mentioned throughout the scriptures in different places, um, that they would inquire with the urim and the thummim, that be able to have that. Wouldn't that be neat if I could go to church and, and I got a decision to make? Should I take this job? Should I move here? Should I buy this car? Should I do this? You know, everyday kind of things that you're not sure of. I can go and ask Pastor Jeff, and I can open up my drawer to my desk and pull out a stone and say, yes, you should. It's a white stone. Or no, you shouldn't. And, and we can think that would be kind of neat to have a system like that. But you see, we got something much better, don't we? And it's called the Holy Spirit. And it dwells inside of our hearts. In Isaiah chapter 30, the Lord indicted the children of Israel because they went and sought counsel. But the Lord said, you're not seeking counsel of me. But you're seeking counsel of the Egyptians. They were trying to align with the Egyptians to defeat their enemy. And the Lord said, the Egyptians, the world isn't going to help you. Fast Arabian horses, it's all going to be in vain. But in coming to me, 
and quietness is going to be your strength. And the Lord goes on to tell them that, that as you seek me and come to me, that I will be a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. I think a great need in the church today and amongst Christians is to listen to the small, still voice of the Lord. And sometimes people, they say, how do you hear the voice of the Lord, that still, small voice? Is it audible? Is it, you know, what is that? It says you study God's word and as you learn of him and yoke yourself to him. It's amazing how godly wisdom will come into your life and giving you direction in every area of your life. But sometimes we have those decisions to make. Do I take this job? Or, you know, do I buy this house? Or do I, I, I do this with my children? Everyday things that, that we have to make. And, and the Lord talks about, He desires and He promises as you go to Him, the wonderful counselor. And in quietness will be your strength. And I promise that I'll be a voice behind you saying, This is the way. And Colossians chapter 3 speaks about that he'll give you a peace that rules in your heart. And a lot of you know what that means. He, he says, don't be anxious for anything in Philippians, Paul wrote, but through everything, through prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God that passes understanding is going to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I know that in my own life and just growing in the Lord and, and knowing God's word, but the decisions that we had to make concerning our own lives and even with the ministry, we pray. And we seek the Lord, and we continue to, and, and, and the Lord will give us a peace that passes understanding, me and, and the leadership and you guys. And it's amazing that as we just wait on the Lord, and as we seek Him, and as we look to Him, for Sue and I in our own lives, when it comes to making decisions about our family and, and coming here, what are we going to do with our kids? We pray about it, and we just have a peace that, that rules in our hearts. And that word rules like a baseball umpire, you know? The Lord's going to say safe or he's going to say out. Don't try to slide in when he says out. And I know there have been times in my own lives where I've tried to do that. Where there was a check in my spirit and I just, oh, I'm not so sure about it. One thing that I've learned is to wait. And sometimes the Lord will have you wait. And sometimes, you know, he says, I want you to come back and see me tomorrow. And he'll give you that peace that rules in your heart. And sometimes the answer is no, or sometimes it's go, or sometimes here's an open door, or no, I'm closing the door. But he'll give you that peace, and he'll just guide you. And every time that I've tried to get ahead of the Lord or go a different direction, and it, it blew up in my face, there was a check. It's like, I'm not sure, but I think this is what I'm going to do, you know, and... And I really didn't take time to pray about it and seek the Lord on it. And, and he works in that way. It's wonderful. That's what makes being a Christian so wonderful is you have the direction of the Lord and the word of God and the voice of the Lord, a still small voice prompting you in the peace of God. And he may put somebody on your heart that, that all of a sudden you're thinking about somebody and, oh, wow, I think I need to give this person a call or write them a letter or, or speak to them, a neighbor or co-worker. That's the way he works. And he'll just speak to you in that way. But you've got to be sensitive to the Lord and going to him. Because there's a lot of noise out there. And there's a lot of voices out there. And there are a lot of Arabian horses that we can turn to. And, and we can talk with other people. You can talk with me. And there's safety in a multitude of counsel as long as it's godly counsel. 
But I know that you can come to the point. Well, I've talked to them. I've talked with Pastor Jeff. But Lord, what do you say? And Lord, where are you leading me and guiding me? And if you don't have a peace about something, it's because he's guarding you. And he's desiring for you to continue to look to him and to wait on him. And he will be gracious to those who do wait on him, as, as Isaiah chapter 30 says. It's much better than an urn and a thummim. I'll tell you what the urn and the thummim is not. And that was Joseph Smith, the Mormon founder and leader, who claimed that he used the urn and the thummim to translate and form Egyptian hydroglyphic golden plates into the Book of Mormon. And the story with the Mormon church is that an angel came to Joseph Smith and said there was some golden plate in the hillside in New York, and I go dig it up, and there's going to be another gospel. He should have read Revelation chapter 1. As Paul says, that we or anyone else, even an angel, brings another gospel than what we have got to do, let the angel be the first. And Paul repeats it twice. So they claim that the urn and the thumb was used that he would look into the glass and be able to translate the Egyptian into English and have the of Mormon that is written. Nowhere in the scriptures does it indicate to us at all that it was used in that way. So they would have that in verse 31 as the companion shall make the robe of the ephod of all blue, and there shall be an opening for it head in the middle of it. It shall have a woman binding all around this opening like opening in a coat of mail so that it does not tear. And upon it, it's him that shall make pomegranates of blue
Thank you.